Horror Court Trash Over podcast, a show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash the pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And we are continuing Pride Month with more LGBTQ plus guests, uh, bringing you a wide range uh, from podcasts to comedians to directors to even scare actors at the end of the month. Uh, we're bringing you a bit of everything. And this week we are joined by another podcast. Uh, we are honoured to be joined by... Two queer icons from across the pond. Our first non-British guests. It's a nice change, isn't it? it? Is, yeah. a... <laughs> we can answer all our American questions. Yeah. <laughs> they have one of the coolest podcasts around. Um, it's ridiculously entertaining and so informative. Uh, it's a show entirely dedicated to Goosebumps. And today we are joined by Andy and Alyssa from Say Podcast and Die. Hello. Hello. Thank you for such a nice introduction. That was <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Honestly, your your podcast is it is genuinely one of the coolest podcasts around. I grew up with Goosebumps, and you know it was my entire childhood. Explains why I'm so into horror now. Um, so to find out there's an entire podcast dedicated to Goosebumps, you know that's just that's that's amazing. Um, could you could you both explain in your own words uh, what what you do? Sure. Um, do you want to start? Sure. Yeah. Um, we uh, are two queers and we bring that sort of reading to the Goosebumps series. We're, we're, we both loved them as a child and we're revisiting them, you know, as adults, as queer adults, thinking about um, what kinds of horror do we find in these? What appealed to us as children? What appeals to us as adults? What things do we look at back at as adults and think like, wow, that doesn't make any sense. Why did we wear things like this? What kind of <laughs> so much spandex? So much spandex. Day glow. Yeah. Yeah. I think I maybe only add to that that I think oh, like half of what we're doing is just really enjoying reading the books or sometimes being horrified by them. Um, not <laughs> in that actually scary way, but in the oh my god, the early nineties had <laughs> problems way. Um, and then. I think about half of what we're doing is kind of cultural critique, you know, seeing how are these stories about the way we think about work, the way we think about queerness, the way we think about, you know, um, our own history, uh, which Arl Stein does a remarkably good job of for, for middle yeah. grade you know, audiences. Absolutely, absolutely. And it, it is so interesting to listen to your takes on it and just listen to, you know, some of the things I maybe would have missed when I was younger whilst reading this. Oh, God, I, I never realised those certain things. I mean, you weren't as familiar with Goosebumps when you were growing up as I was. No. But no. I showed you the show uh, yeah. last October, and I think your reaction was, this is the most 90s thing I've ever seen. Yeah, <laughs> so I had a few, I, I don't like to show off, but I, I did win a Goosebumps book. Oh, uh, because, I didn't know this. Yeah, so I came top of the year um, in my grades and uh, my behaviour, and I did win a Goosebumps book. Um, <laughs> Teacher's so proud. <laughs> has a little certificate in it, I'm not sure where it is now. But I, I was more, if, if I'm being honest, sort of, um, are you afraid of the dark? I, I used to watch that a lot. Um, but I was always aware of Goosebumps. And, and listening to your podcast, it's, it's you kind of do what we try to do. Um, <laughs> what we fail at doing. What we fail to do is take a real interesting, um, but also, you know, a funny look at um, sort of culture from, yeah. from the past. Yeah. Um, and it's really, I, I really enjoy your podcast and uh, it's really fascinating and kind of makes me want to go back and read the Goosebumps books because it's easy to dismiss them as sort of, you know, oh, when I read them in school, you know, why, why would I read them now? But there's a lot to take yeah. from them as an, as an adult, 
as well. Um, so yeah, we've got we've got our little goosebump books pile that yes. Gary's uh, so I might have to give him a read. <laughs> but you, you you make it interesting, but um, you also very intelligent as well. I did say to Gary, I was I was kind of uh, nervous. I was like, well, we just all our references are quite plain. I knew you're you're there talking about William Blake, and I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> but you just sound so dumb on the podcast. This is actually, by the way, to surprise you, this is actually a Chris uh, Say Pod and Die Stan episode. I was actually discussing band. He's just gonna, we're just gonna tell you guys how much we love you. So <laughs> that's the whole episode. So two things. First of all. All we, all of our information comes from Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> and second of all, yeah, we want to know which. Do you remember which book you won for your being a good boy in school? It was a. Um, I, I googled it before. Um, it was a special edition, a TV special edition, of it, I think the Mummy. Uh, I want to say the Mummy Returns, but that's a film. Um, <laughs> but it's something to do with the Mummy and. Um, I think it was a Phantom of the Opera style yeah. story, um, but it was a special edition. It was two books in one, um, right. and the cover was from the TV series. That's great. Oh, yeah, those are two excellent stories, too. Yeah. I need to find it somewhere. I'm sure I kept it because I was so proud. <laughs> I was really proud. I mean, I, came top I, I, mean, I won it twice, but, um, you know, that one was special. <laughs> what, what did you win the other time? Oh, that was that was um, so, um, some dog goes to the farm sort of. I think I think I was like like five or six years old, so it was very basic. Um, <laughs> something to do with a dog on a farm. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just talk about myself. <laughs> Let's do. <laughs> we're, we're analysing your school days. Yeah, as well. no, yeah. Was very well behaved. Excuse me. I deserve that book. <laughs> But <laughs> enough about Chris's school life. Today, we are here to discuss something a little different to Goosebumps. Uh, we are here to discuss Bound from 1996, directed by the Wachowski sisters, uh, who also made the Matrix trilogy, Speed Racer, Cloud Atlas, Jupiter Ascending, which makes us stand out. Um, it's a little different, isn't it, to yeah, everything okay. else they've done? Um, it, it was made on a budget of $4.5 million and it only made $3.8 million at a box office because no one had taste in 1996, clearly. Wow, wow. Yeah, we looked at a few of the reviews from the time and they did not have taste at that time. Yeah, and they were all oh, it's so violent, you know, uh, I, which I didn't see. Maybe I'm jaded. <laughs> no, absolutely. It is no, nowhere near as violent as some of the other things being released around the time that probably would have got better reviews. Like, um, you, I mean, you, you compare this to Reservoir Dogs, yeah. which had similar sort of critiques uh, four years previous, and it's it's not even close, really. Um, you don't really see much of it. You, you kind of see the aftermath, yeah. but you don't really see it happening, whereas Reservoir Dogs is like, oh, my Lord. You know, this it's a real shock to the senses. Yeah. Um, yeah, people did not taste nine ninety six clearly. <laughs> <laughs> Hence why we have this podcast. <laughs> We're here to rectify that. Alyssa had a suspicion last night that when people said they were upset by the violence, that wasn't really what was bothering them. Yeah. Didn't yeah. Want to <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I, so. I mean, nineteen ninety six was that the same year as uh, two one through thanks for everything. 
I think it, I really think it was. I think, I think if it is, it's two or one or two years in between, but it's around yeah. the same time. Because what made me think of that was the fact that this has really uh, positive LGBT representation in that, you know, essentially it's two queer protagonists um, that we're following here. And two Wong Fu also had a, you know, three drag queens on the road and it was positive representation. So it's interesting that in the mid nineties, you had this sort of positive RGBT representation across cinema only for it to kind of, you know, fall again when you get to the 2000s. Yeah. 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 Very good. The the comparison to Reservoir Dogs, Mm. again, um, I mean, you better get a sniff of a female in Reservoir Dogs, it's a very manly film. Yeah. Um, and yet that's regarded as an all-time classic by yeah. so many people, and, and myself, you know, I, I enjoyed that film, um, but it doesn't have the same as, as Bound in, in that sense, and I think yeah. that's probably what people have took issue with, let's, mm. let's be fair. Let's be <laughs> but uh, getting into the trivia for the film, the film was financed with the understanding that Jennifer Tilly was to play the role of Corky. The actress played, uh, that was playing Violet dropped out of the project shortly before shooting began, however. Uh, at this point, Gina Gershon uh, became available to do the film. And at first she was to play Violet, but since she was better suited to Corky, uh, she and Tilly switched roles. And I'm so glad they did. Thank God. Yeah. It would have made no sense. I, I can't imagine it the other way around. Jennifer no. T- <laughs> not Butch. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no. And, and they have so much amazing chemistry. Um, throughout this film like their performances are amazing absolutely yeah I think um, Gina Gershon is a very underrated actress yeah. actually I, I think um, she should be held in a much higher esteem than she I mean Jennifer Tilly everyone loves Jennifer Tilly but Gina Gershon is a great actress are you based not on her performance in Showgirls um, yeah. Well, we'll get on to Showgirls later because there's a good comparison between the two films, actually. And uh, I, I love Showgirls. So. I love Gina Gershon in Showgirls. So, so Joe uh, Pantoliano was instructed by the Wachowskis to watch The Treasure of Sierra Madre. Yeah, I ah, mean, you good. did well with Pan- Pantoliano, actually. <laughs> I, I struggled with that one. I was on blank. Like Gary's saying that one. <laughs> um, they, they based his Caesar character on Humphrey Bogart's Fred C. Dobbs. Has, has anyone seen Sierra Madre here? No. No, no, I haven't. No, I haven't actually. No, I'm. I'm. I mean, obviously, this is a, a, a neo noir. Um, so I think the reference point I was getting was uh, Billy Wilder and. It, double indemnity really mm. um so it's interesting uh, i mean we'd want to watch that film yeah yeah uh, when executives of some studios read the script they told the wakowskis that if they changed the character of corky to that of a man they would be interested what a surprise the siblings <laughs> declined saying that the movie's been made a million times so they're not interested in making corky a man and fair play to them because i mean you know it, it didn't need to be corky didn't need to be a man and I think when you've got the talent that they have, the lack of budget, you don't notice it. Yeah. So not only were they able to stand by having Corky as a female, they were also able to make a great film on a low budget, you know, so props to them, you know, well done. Yeah. yeah. 
so much of what makes this film work, in addition to the acting, as you both said, is the way the shots are set up. It looks yeah. that the reference point felt like a comic book, you know, a, a pulpy comic book. Um, mm -hmm. Then, especially also in terms of the color palette, the red dress that yes. Jennifer in, yeah. and the, the striking wallpaper and all the black and gray tones. They really make use of every single element of that apartment that they're in for most of the film. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, the paint scene as well, um, when the Caesar character dies, you know, the, the red of the blood mixed with the paint as well, it's just, it, it really stands out. Like, there's some really, really great cinematography. Well, that was a gorgeous scene. Actually, most reminded me of The Matrix and anything in the film. Was yeah. Yeah, and me as well. Yeah. Uh, Jennifer Tilly and Joe Pantoliano both have said that this is their favourite roles they've played. Aww. <laughs> What else was he in? Was he in Bad Boys? What else was it? He's in everything. He is in so much that we have watched. He's in the Matrix. <laughs> he was, he, yeah, he was, he was in Bad Boys. Um, I can't think of any cows right now. Bad Boys 2, <laughs> Bad Boys 3. Daredevil. <laughs> yeah, and, and of course in the Matrix. Yeah, yeah. he's Cypher. Yes. Yeah, yeah he, he is in the Matrix, yeah. And no, um, no. Oh, yeah. The part of Violet was originally expected to go to Linda Hamilton. I mean, imagine that. <laughs> Again, reverse those two main characters. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> amazing, Corky. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so we, we have a long bit of trivia, so strap yourself in, everyone. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just me going to be talking shit for a while. Uh, Jennifer Tilly discussed trying to avoid an NC-17 rating in 2014 uh, with an interview for Fulcher. Uh, the Wachowskis took, she said, the Wachowskis took the film to the ratings board and they instantly got an NC-17. It was unbelievable, and the Wachowskis said it's homophobia, clear and simple. Uh, because all all you see uh, was one of Jennifer Tilly's breasts, you see uh, two of Gina's breasts, you didn't see any genitalia, you just saw Jennifer Tilly's hand. The MPAA said because Jennifer and Gina are such good actors, it looks like she's really given her a hand job. And the Rokowski said, well, let me get this straight. If they weren't such good actors, you would let it go through. And the MPAA sort of said, well, yeah, it was it was really sad. And they ended up having to uh, sub in a different take. Uh, I think it was take seven where the camera accidentally dripped, uh, drip, dipped and missed my hand. Uh, the take that we ended up using, it was before we got all the kinks out. They had the door to the bathroom open wider so it's brighter in the room. Uh, where the tape we wanted to use had a lot of shadows. The makeup person had sprayed us with sweat, so it looked like we were really going at it. It was sort of more graphic, and Gina didn't like this other take. She was like, I was overreacting uh, with my feet. Then at the end, all of a sudden, my breast wanted to get on frame, fell into camera like boom. My breasts are really big, so it was a little more pornographic than Gina's fashion plate breasts. Uh, in the perfect take, I was raised up on one hand, kind of watching her, and I'm sure you could see uh, either of my boobs, maybe a little side boob. Uh, and in this take, I was down on her, and uh, I felt like it was ten times more graphic than this take we wanted to use. But apparently, because you missed the hand, it was like you missed the hand, but gained a breast, and everything was all right with the MPAA. Just <laughs> such a weird, you know... It, it, it's, it really is beyond me, the MPAA's way of thinking um, yeah. with some films, and especially this, because if that was just, you know, if that wasn't the same-sex couple having sex, that probably wouldn't have been an issue at all. Right. Yeah, well, I think that something I noticed back when I was first coming out and, you know, would encounter people saying things like, well, how can two women even have sex, you know, things like that. I think mm. people 
who live in a solely straight world have a hard time with being confronted with the fact of how much of your body is a sex organ, right? Yeah. Can't just pour it enough B and B and say that's it. <laughs> Hands are involved. Absolutely. And then suddenly everything looks very loose all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I I think it kind of reiterates uh, the point that that we've made is that the 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 backlash was against the violence. But the MPA didn't have an issue with the violence, as it turns out. Yeah, they had an yeah. issue with a, a, a beautifully choreographed sex scene. Yeah. They had an issue with that. Yeah. And, they, and, and when they, they, they make these kind of ratings, it's almost always, it's like female pleasure that gets a, a much higher rating than, than male pleasure. Well, I mean, this year, the, um, the Mitchells vs. the Machines, which is an animated film on Netflix, didn't that have like a warning for sexual content because the lead character's a lesbian? Yeah. That I mean that's yeah. ridiculous. It's yeah. you know it did did have some form of warning. Yeah, didn't and it? they didn't make any sort of big deal about it in the film. It was this type of representation we need. And then, you know, they get that sort of warning. It's like that's that's awful. Well, it's it's interesting because if you look at reviews of it, this is any movie, especially that's coming out of the US. Um, that comes from somebody who has a sort of more fundamentalist background, they'll put in more, they'll like alert people to things like that and also swearing and all of that. So I think that's the demographic that they're trying to warn. Yeah. Like both have the representation, but not alienate the people who are offended by that representation. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, I think there's an obsession sometimes with uh, sort of queer love and sex where it's any queer character whatsoever. I mean, in the film, I've forgotten the name. Okay. Mitchells. Uh, Mitchells vs. the Machines. Mitchells vs. the Machine. The, the, the moment that that character came out as queer, it's like, sag, 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 you know, and if that's not the point. No. It's, a, you know, that's not the point of the film. It was the fact that she'd found someone that she loved. Yeah. And... I think too many people equate this whole queer love with just sex. And uh, it's something I've touched on the podcast before. Yes. <laughs> I got a little ranty, but uh, <laughs> I'll just put it out there. Yeah. <laughs> it's like we wish our lives were just like lots of fun sex, but. <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> if only. <laughs> and for our final bit of trivia, Jennifer Tilly's character, Violet, served as the inspiration. The drag superstar Violet Chachi's name. Yeah. Did you know that? I didn't know that. <laughs> so um, I feel like this is a, probably a pointless question with this episode. Um, with each Pride Month episode, we usually ask, you know, what makes this gay? What makes this valid to be on an episode during Pride Month? I think we all know. So instead, I'm going to ask uh, you guys. You have a uh, you have quite a sweet story with this film, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. So this. So back in it was either late 2013 or early 2014. We we'd been friends for a while, but we both sort of each knew that we liked the other one, but no one had come out and said it yet. And um, I, with a couple of friends of mine, we were trying to watch like more LGBT friend uh, films, and this this was one of them. And so I said, to my friend, like, can can we invite this person that I'm flirting with over? We were all friends. <laughs> So yeah, so we uh, we watched it together, like in someone's darkened bedroom, and we're like sitting next to each other. And I think the whole time I was mostly just aware that like Anne was next to me. And, yeah. And then afterwards, the, my friends kind of cleared the room, and we just like got to like sit on the bed and talk. And yeah, <laughs> I didn't know it was a setup. I thought I got lucky. I didn't ask them to do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
that is honestly the best story we've had on this podcast. <laughs> and way better than what was our first film we watched together? It was Deadly Blessing. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was bad. And, and was... Alien Covenant. We watched Alien Covenant at the cinema as well. So definitely not as exciting as that. Can I ask how you two met? Uh, it was just Tinder. Tinder. Just Tinder. Yeah. yeah. So we were on Tinder and you had you had photos you had photos from your Instagram and I saw your DVD collection and Blu-ray, I was like, oh Blu ray, excuse me. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I do ap- I apologize to everyone. I said DVD, yeah, Blu-rays. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and I saw your Blu-ray collection and I was like, Oh, okay, this is interesting. And then sort of from there we watched Deadly Blessing. <laughs> Which was awful, and then we both realised it was awful, so it was good. So we had good, and we both had the right taste. Yeah, but I, I just thought he was really out of my league and couldn't leave my look, so I just went with it and hoped for the best. And I was much, now. much younger then, much younger. <laughs> younger and stupid. Oh, okay. I never said stupid. I said younger, just younger. Horror Court Trash Over podcast exclusive. Chris was young and stupid. So getting into the film. <laughs> I'm old and stupid as well. Don't get it twisted. I think we both are. That's why people listen to the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the plot of the film is tough ex-con cocky and no lover Violet. Uh, gather up a scheme to steal millions of stash mob money and pin the blame on Violet's crooked boyfriend, Caesar. And we start the film with a big action movie style title reveal and score. That leads you to think it's a bit of a different film to what it actually is. Do you agree? Yeah, it did. Yeah, it got right to it. Yeah, it? Like, yeah. Bound. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure what the title "Bound" means. Mm. Can you think what 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 does "Bound" allude to within the film? I didn't notice down, so I'll hand this over to our guests. <laughs> I mean, there's the BDSM side of things, you know, the film spends a lot of time playing up this idea of power dynamics and relationships and controlling each other um, and the kind of control that the two female characters want from each other, actually, that kind of play they want. And then the bad kind of control we see both between Jennifer Tilly and uh, um, Caesar, and then also within the mafia, too. I felt like a lot of the scenes with the, the people in the business uh, read to me on the side especially because they're always talking about fucking each other <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> no absolutely awesome, yeah. and everybody's caught up in something right everyone's yeah. tied to something somehow so there you go <laughs> but then and then corky's literally bound yeah so, i mean uh, corky and violet are literally bound um after it all comes out yeah um, yeah okay so we get uh, some voiceovers, which are various lines of dialogue throughout the film. The first line of dialogue in the film is, <clears throat> if you excuse my genitalia impression. Oh, no, he's doing it. <laughs> I had this image of you inside of me, like a part of me. That's the first line of dialogue in the film. And I, are you okay? Mm. <laughs> Uh, was impression. that a good impression? It was a good impression. Good impression, Jennifer. Too. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit impressions on this podcast. <laughs> it never goes down well. Um, but yeah, that's the first line of dialogue in the film. It really sets you up for what's to come. Um, and we see Corky tied up in a closet. And, and obviously we see Corky in his closet throughout. Do you think this imagery is saying something? I'm not sure. It keeps flashing back to the same scene. Yeah, of all the characters, though, Corky is the least in the closet. Yeah. She's the most out and proud 
of all the characters. Um, so I'm not. I'm not sure. I, I, maybe just for plot-wise, the closet was the easiest place to put her in. Sometimes, you know, not everything has to mean yeah. anything. Uh, because I, I generally thought Corky was, you know, ne- never in the closet. She probably was never. <laughs> no, she was symbolism to the audience, maybe. No. No. Maybe. Where are you going with this? I'm going to hand it over to our guests. I mean, symbolism aside, just for sort of, you know, story structure, there were times when I was so caught up in Violet and the business that I forgot about Corky. So sometimes it's serving us to remind us, like, oh, yeah, there's this other person. There's this motivation that she has. And, And same with later when they're cutting to her on the other side of the wall in the apartment and she's like, thinking about stuff is like oh right right she's in this too because there's a big chunk of the movie that Corky's not really in yeah yeah and and that I always I mean I forgot that when watching this time around um because obviously you know the marketing's heavily on uh Violet and Corky together and even the official plot summary is very much based around Violet and Corky but there is a big section where she's not in the film isn't it yeah she she's essentially a supporting actress yeah really um Maybe the the closet is Violet's closet, um, and Corky being in there is representation of you know Violet wanting to sort of let her true self out, and Corky's bound within the closet. Um, I know it might seem a little clunky, but I, I think it's interesting. Thank you for turning my point into an actual point. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so far. Violet gets in the same lift as Corky. They have a moment of checking each other out. Um, after this, Corky's on the phone to her boss, whilst Violet has loud sex next door, clearly wanting Corky to hear. Because it's very thin walls, as we're reminded of. Yes, about. very thin walls. Uh, it must be hard to be in the mob with such thin walls. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you think they'd have like a nice place, like a, a detached house somewhere. <laughs> but no, they're in a, it's a nice apartment. But yeah. It's a little risky being in the mob. Yeah, um, Corky's working as a painter and decorator um, in the apartment next door, whilst uh, when Violet pays her a visit from next door, introduces herself and offers her some coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Two genders, black coffee and coffee with cream, we noted. Yeah. Yeah. She takes it straight, though, doesn't she? Yes. (laughs) Uh, We get some interesting dialogue from Violet, like, Right away, Jennifer Tilly is, is like, it's all double entendres all the way down. But, but there's this weird line where she talks about how, like, oh, yeah, my dad had hands like that, too. And I was like, this, this went to, wandered into a little bit of a... Yeah. <laughs> she says his hands were magic about yeah. her dad. Um, <laughs> but I will say one thing that when I first saw this movie, actually, was before I had met Alyssa. It was when I was in college and I was, you know, had just come out and I was trying to, re- like, watch everything gay I could. And it infuriated me because, you know, they have this moment every queer person wishes they could have of seeing another queer person instantly recognizing each other instantly, yeah. you know, that you're going to go hook up. And, I mean, yeah, I was like, how do I get that look? A vibe do I need to give up? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it, it is so true and i think that's why i i was always a lot on you know resorting to internet dating is because 
you don't always recognize it, do you? I mean, even even if you're you say you're out on a night out, um, you know, you're you're in a gay bar, you, you not everyone's gonna be queer in there, are they? No, no, it, it's <laughs> usually you just uh, it's a uh, Cher and uh, clueless. <laughs> when she does all those things to try to get Christian's attention. Um, I suppose that, that might work. Bring attention to your lips, you know, send yourself a, buy yourself a drink, pretend it's from someone else. Um, usually you just end up staring at each other and then just going home. Bored. <laughs> I mean, back in the day, the sort of the time that, that we watched Bound, um, so now, I mean, now I have an undercut, but at the time I had like long straight hair. And so I, I would get, people would tap me on the shoulder in gay bars and ask me, like, excuse me, who are, what kind of person are you into? And I'd be like, I don't know you. But they're like, but somebody literally said to me, like, oh, my friends and I have a bet. <laughs> like, oh. oh, my God. I think it's more, I think that people are sort of used to also straight girls hanging around gay bars, queer bars, whatever. And there's more of a suspicion of that. But I, too, had that moment of enviousness. Like, why can't you just see me? I'm here to find someone. Yeah, yeah that's... Oh my god, that's really cheeky of them. They can't just do that. Have you ever read that? No, no, I haven't. No, no. Mm. I can't. But no one tried chatting me up at all in gay bar, so I can't say I had it. So. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I was at the uh, lesbian bar cubby hole in New York as a as a kid. Um, <laughs> I was excited because this lady fireman wanted to drive me home, but she literally. <laughs> She was making sure I got home safe. That was awesome. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't live up to the fantasy there. <laughs> Very sweet of her, though. Shout out to whatever her name is. <laughs> yeah, pe people are not considerate in the UK, are they? <laughs> no, they're, they're not. I, I think maybe this is the American-UK uh, <laughs> difference, difference here. <laughs> No, I don't, I don't. I don't know. I suppose I've never really been chatted. Oh, no one's really that forward in the UK. They just kind of drink too much and hope for the best. <laughs> We're all socially awkward drunks in the UK. Yes. <laughs> so uh, Violet asks if uh, if Corky could wait a little bit to use the power tools because she's a night person and the walls are so thin. And again, as we said, there's so much flirting uh, within. Well, within most scenes with the two of them together. Um, and it's after this when Corky goes for a drink at the watering hole. We also <laughs> don't have places like the watering hole in the UK, do we? No. No, we tend to just have gay clubs. Yeah. You know, and, and gay bars. And it's just sort of, um, I'm assuming that the watering hole is not, I wouldn't say exclusively, but for lesbian uh, women. Um, to go to, uh, we don't really have anywhere like that no, no. Uh, in the UK. We just kind of have clubs and and sort of bars and such. Um, where they get put a pride flag out the front and everyone welcomes sort of thing. We yeah. were we were waxing nostalgic a little bit for like lesbian bars and also you know the before times when bars were okay. But uh, and so I was looking it up and it turns out, according to this article that I found, there are only like twenty one lesbian bars left in the United States. Wow. It, it goes really quickly, yeah. Right. I think uh, I, I think a lot of it is sort of geared, particularly here. That we've never been to America, but particularly here, it's a lot of it is geared towards gay men. Yeah. I have found a lot of the nightlife is geared towards 
you know, men really. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have found that there's not many. A weird going on when you think about it, because I mean, there's really no excuse to why they couldn't put up some lesbian bars around the UK. No, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I think they have a harder time staying, staying in business, and I think probably some of that has to do with the amount of disposable income women have yeah. versus men, possibly, but yeah. I don't know if a guess. It might also be cultural, right? Because, like, also, on the upside, like, there are lesbian bookstores, right? Because, like, like, honestly, on an average day, I'd rather go to the bookstore, and so I'm, I'm doing my part to not support the lesbian bars, I guess, but, you know. Wow, that's amazing. We definitely don't have that in the UK. No, oh, I do. No, we we don't. Don't. We have <laughs> no, no. no. Have anything like that. <laughs> well, we, we are not selling the UK on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> We're all boring over here. <laughs> so, Corky uh, goes for a drink at the watering hole and speaks with Sue, uh, the bartender, who wants to know if Corky's got herself a real job. And Corky reveals she's just there to get laid. So, she goes to take the seat next to Jesse, uh, a lady sitting alone in leather. Uh, but her chances are ruined by Jesse's girlfriend, who reveals she's a cop who didn't know that Corky was out of prison. So that gives you a bit of backstory about Corky. Yeah, there's a hint of backstory there. Is it? It's yeah. not really delved too much into uh, the sort of ins and outs of what she did uh, and such. Um, but it, yeah, it gives a little a little character development. We, yeah. we enjoy that, don't we? Yes. Yeah, and I think it nicely links it up to the exploitation genre of women's prison movies and women's prison pulp fiction, which is always super gay. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, have you seen Chained Heat? Chained Heat. No, I need to. <laughs> that is it's something. <laughs> just Sybil Dannon just being Sybil Dannon, yeah. really. And with Linda Blair. With Linda Blair as well. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, did, we did do a podcast episode on yeah. it. We, we enjoy a women in prison film and, and um yeah they're very uh, uh camp i would i would actually say camp a lot of them are i, I don't think they're for a they're, necessarily a queer audience geared, they're geared towards a different Straight audience men. but appreciated by another audience yeah <laughs> um which i think is very much the case with bound now uh, no, actually, no, no, I'll take that back. This was definitely not geared towards straight men, the same way women in prison films are. Um, but it, I think its cult following is pretty much the LGBT community. Yeah. Um, I, I've got a little bit for the end. Oh, OK. Oh, sorry, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> That's my research. Uh, so, Corky's working the next day, and her boss asks her to help Violet with something. Violet's dropped one of her favourite earrings down the sink. Nothing, uh, nothing suspicious there at all. It's definitely not done on purpose, is it? No. <laughs> so she needs Corky to get it out for her. Uh, and she does it. So she offers her money. She doesn't want it. So she offers her a drink instead. Uh, and then this is when we get even more flirting. Yeah, I, I think it's um, a, what I find really interesting with those characters and the chemistry itself is that Violet is still presents as very feminine throughout the whole film whereas Corky is a little more masculine mm. in, in particularly in her attire I think I think that's a very easy way of sort of uh, differentiating between the two um, and the, the idea that Violet would never sort of want to have to do her own plumbing anyway she still sort of represents as that and I, I think it's a really great parable between yeah. the two characters and really helps with the chemistry is is that Violet doesn't suddenly meet 
Corky and then eventually have, have sex with Corky and then suddenly becomes a very stereotypical view of, mm. you know, what a lesbian would be in yeah. cinema. I, 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 I did appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. they get some about it later too, which I thought was interesting. Um, but one thing I like about this, you mentioned camp earlier, is, you know, they're, um, they're portraying like, stereotypical porn scenes exactly. um straight porn right where they go <laughs> and the way jennifer tilly plays it so perfectly and the way jean gerson is just like i or corky rather just i know what you're doing this whole time it's like they're they're both embodying the trope and making by making it so over the top which i love yeah 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 absolutely and I, I didn't even think of it like that but it's so true <laughs> and the way they play it so seriously as well, it is it is great um it's it's the scene where she she's under the sink and it's Jennifer Tilly's legs in the background <laughs> and you know it takes a great actress to act with the legs yeah <laughs> and we know what she's uh, what's happening yeah yeah I, and the close up of uh, of Corky's hands as well it's yeah it's they are they're, they're, they are trying to say like you know a and and even the dialogue you know she's like do I scare you and she's like no thirsty maybe. Curious. I'm curious myself. Oh my god, okay. <laughs> and then it, it delves even more into that territory when she shows her the tattoo on her boob and gets Corky to touch it. And it, it's such a great setup, it really is. Yeah. 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 But, you're yeah. Right. <laughs> but again, it's it's very much uh very cinematic. Yeah. Um just touching on what we we spoke about earlier is that that didn't kind of happen in real life. I mean, if I was, if I was like, oh, do you want to see my tattoo? <laughs> you know, <It> didn't quite work. <laughs> but, in, so, but again, the chemistry between them, it's believable. It's it's fairly ridiculous, but believable. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so Violet explains she's trying to seduce Corky and to prove this, uh, this is when we get the, the MPAA's favourite finger in scene. <laughs> yeah, speaking of the watering hole. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm surprised that this is the this is the version that the MPAA didn't have a problem with. It's so graphic. <laughs> yeah. Like the, the problem their problem was the way uh, hand movements were. And, and it is not hidden in this version. And I just, I just love that a film in 1996 went there and released this cinematically, like theatrically. That's, that's great. You agree? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And we, we then get close-up shots of the two of their lips as they're talking before they start kissing. Uh, and Caesar ruins it all by coming home and interrupting them and shouting at Violet until he realised that Corky's there. Uh, this is our first real introduction to Caesar, isn't it? Yeah. Um, very loud. Angry. <laughs> um, I, I do. I, I find it. Um, I'm not sure what I find it. I find it interesting that Caesar doesn't see Corky as a threat at all. Yeah. Um, just because she's female, yeah. and sort of even even when the big reveal later on, mm -hmm. he never really takes it that seriously. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's quite interesting that he's sort of. Um, He's very much um, alpha male, sort of, oh, um, what's the word when someone, he's masculine and he's sort of dominant. Yeah, but he has an issue with Johnny throughout the film because Johnny's a very sort of dominant, sort of masculine character. 
Whereas he doesn't have an issue with Corky because he could never sort of see Corky as a real threat. Yeah. If that makes sense. There's a word I'm looking for. Yeah, it's very like sort of heteronormative, like alpha male, hyper masculine type of type of look. Well, and also you know, when he first sees the uh, sees Corky and it's mistakes her for a man, he's really angry, and then he's like, "Oh, sorry, it's dark." Yeah. But I feel like, given also the, the Wachowskis are both trans women, I was thinking that feels like a moment, a, a trans moment within the film too, right? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Um, th- there's a big play on this scene of <laughs> of Corky's hands, and we know where Corky's hands just been. And you know, they shake hands. There's a big point of it straight away. He's like, you know, oh, what a handshake! You have great hands and whatever. It's like, oh god, really? <laughs> It's a very wink-wink moment yeah. to the audience. Yeah. yeah, and again, that just really show it really reiterates the fact that he does not see any sort of threat there at all because um, he's so casual about it. They have a bit of a conversation, um, find out Corky was in prison for five years, and he gives her some money, uh, and she leaves because she has to clean her brushes. Sure. <laughs> yes, she does. Yeah. <laughs> So um, Corky gets in the truck and Violet lets herself in to apologise for what she didn't do. Uh, and they make out before we get a long, detailed and steamy sex scene that was shot in one take with no body doubles. All in one go. Well done. Yeah, this, um, and, and I'm sort of same-sex orientated, this, this is a very steamy sex scene. Yes, I was yes. starting to get a little flustered watching it as well. It's, <laughs> Really well shot. Yeah. Um, really sort of well played. They had a um, what was her name? I've got a name at the back. Um, her name was Susie Bright, yeah. and she was a feminist writer and sex educator, and she choreographed that sex scene. Yeah. Kind of the same way you'd get someone to choreograph a fight scene, you yeah. know. And it sounds weird to say it. Um, but I think it really benefits from that. And imagine in 1996, yeah. the Wachowskis bringing someone in to make Gina Gershon and Jennifer Tilly feel comfortable in that sex scene. Yeah. You know, with everything that we now know was going on in Hollywood at that time, how forward to, to have that. And the scene is so much better for it. You can tell that the the actresses felt very comfortable in the scene. Um, it doesn't feel exploitative. It feels very much like two people who have very quickly fallen in love with each other, having an intimate moment. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it's really wonderful filmmaking uh, with this scene, um, definitely. Absolutely. And imagine sitting in the dark watching it inches away from a person you would like to be dictated. <laughs> I know this me saying I was getting flustered. <laughs> um, and after the scene they are having a beer and Corky asks if Caesar's part of the mafia and we get a bit of backstory where we find out uh, Violet and Caesar have been together for five years but Violet isn't very happy with a issue. No, five years is a very long time, as they both agree. Um, obviously, Corky was in prison for five years as yeah. well. And they've, maybe they've both been in a prison for five years. Yeah. There we go. 
Well, and I thought it was so interesting, you know, the way that they treat this moment of them coming together like an awakening. Uh, I think Gina Gershon's character says something like, I can see again or something really ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, Jennifer Tilly just decides then and there, like, I am changing my life. This is what I'm doing instead now, which I thought was uh, kind of cool. And yeah. also, you know, I don't know. What, I don't know what you thought of that, but it was it was drastic. She's yeah, like, it was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a nod to the U-Hauling trope, perhaps. But also, I can't deny this anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's a noir element as well. I mean, we, we watched a lot of Hitchcock recently, and yeah. you were like, oh, bloody hell, they fall in love very quickly <laughs> in these old films. Yeah. Very quickly. So I, th- I think maybe it's a, a slight reference to those film noirs where, you know, they would uh, meet twice and suddenly declare their everlasting love. Well, to in Hitchcock, they usually get married. They usually get two, married. After two, two scenes together, they usually get married in Hitchcock. <laughs> yeah. Um, Corky is really happy going to work the next day. What a song plays with lyrics describing the events that have happened to us so far. (laughs) (laughs) We met twice, we had coffee, and it's like, oh, well, okay, how far is this song going to (laughs) go? It's almost as if it was written for the films. And there was a a film earlier when um, Corky was at the watering hole, the film, uh, the song playing, um, the lyrics were, I've never loved a man the way I love you. (laughs) Which I think was also quite telling. A very, um, I think there's a word for it, where the music choices in a film drives the narrative. Drives, sort of uh, reminds us of what the narrative. I forget the name, but uh, yeah, this uh, definitely uses that in this film. Yeah, uh, a guy goes into the building and goes to Violet's apartment. Um, Corky hears him having sex, and this is when it's revealed that Violet is a sex worker, uh, which Corky isn't too pleased with. Um, so Violet asks her to leave and not to steal anything on the way out. And I, I kind of like the fact that you know Corky isn't happy with. Uh, well, I don't like the fact that Corky isn't happy with a decision that Violet's making, but what I like is the fact that Violet's like, well, yeah, this is my decision. Get the fuck out. Yeah. And also, this is my work. Like, she's yeah, yeah. never apologizes for it, and I love that about this. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, it, it never comes back up because that, that's it. Violet is saying, this is how it is. And, you know, if you don't like it, you can't. She, she says, you know, you do what you're good at. I do what I'm good at. It's purely business. Yeah. And it's definitely the way she's seen her relationship with Caesar for yeah. the last five yeah. years, purely business. Um, and then this is where I, I sort of felt the comparisons with a film like Showgirls. Yeah. Uh, so obviously just a year previous, Gina Gershon was in Showgirls. It was a huge bomb. Um, she didn't come out of it looking very good, you know. And in that film, sex was a business. Yeah. Um, but it was also... Sex in show. Have you seen Showgirls? You have seen. I've, I've seen an hour of it. <laughs> I've only seen. <laughs> <laughs> but the comparison between a sex scene in Showgirls, where sex is actually pretty violent, <laughs> it comes across as very violent, to the beautiful sex scene that we've seen in Bound. They're just trying to imitate dolphins. Yeah, well, they were, but. It, <laughs> It was that idea of um, sort of sex as, as business in Showgirls, whereas, and it comes across as very sort of angry and very aggressive sex, whereas Violet is, you know, she's a sex worker, mm. 
but she also we see her have sex for pure pleasure with Corky. We never got that in Showgirls. It was all just business deals, yeah. and I, I, I just felt it was an interesting comparison between the two films. Whereas, you know, both films kind of got into trouble for their depictions of sex. Mm. Um, Bounds really wasn't rightly, you know, uh, in in trouble for it because yeah. it's more of a, a sensual scene and. We, we never actually see Violet have sex with a man. We never see these no. business transactions take place. Yeah, and as you said, you know, um, with uh, as you're referencing, Violet says, uh, that's not sex, that's business, right? Yeah. And I, that's something I like in this film is it's decentering what's most standardly thought of as sex, which is like both a transactional monetary relationship and, you know, again p and v right and suddenly it's not clear what's a sex organ and it's not clear that the most common sex act actually counts as sex yeah absolutely very clear absolutely. um so after this corky's uh drunk and she notices some mafia looking guys getting out of a car with someone she seemingly recognizes um but i think i may have stuck her recognizing it for the fact that she recognized that they're definitely going to caesar and violet's apartment it's it's Shelley from the previous Shelley Shelley yeah so she Shelley was desperate to speak to Violet and pushes his way past Corky. yeah yeah oh so that's the same guy so from the before same guy. oh okay I didn't recognize same guy. him oh yeah I, I also had trouble recognizing him but luckily we watched with subtitles yeah so it, <laughs> yeah. it was like oh he's wearing sunglasses in this scene and not in the other scene I would have no idea that was <laughs> all the men do look very similar <laughs> in, in the film apart from except maybe Caesar <laughs> yeah except for Johnny and Caesar and this is also it. you can tell an era when the fashion for men was to wear suits two to three sizes too large yeah <laughs> <laughs> and not in a cool talking heads way either no no, no. <laughs> So Corky's uh, working when she can hear shouting next door and we get a, probably the best transition that ever exists with a toilet. Yeah. <laughs> like it zooms into um, the toilet at the place where Corky's working and then there's drops of blood and it zooms out in next door's toilet. And that is when you can make uh, a toilet look stylish. I mean, you know, you do something right. Yeah, it actually reminded me also of that scene in the Matrix where they're trying to get out and where Morpheus gets kidnapped, you know? Yeah. That's also a very violent, dramatic bathroom scene that's also shot very <laughs> Yeah. Wachowskis <laughs> know how to film a bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> so Caesar and the Mafia, um, mafia guys are interrogating uh, Shelley, and Violet tells Caesar she wants to leave, and he thinks it's because she knows Shelley um, and it made her uncomfortable, but we all know that's not the truth. So one of the, uh, one of the guys, uh, Mickey, asks Violet if she's okay and tells her to go home. Uh, Mickey asks Shelley where their money is. He doesn't answer, so he cuts off his finger. And again, you know, the backlash of the violence, we don't actually see his finger get cut off. We just see it drop onto the floor. Yeah. Whereas, again, with Reservoir Dogs, we see every last second of it. Apart from the ear. We see him, do we? Yeah, the camera cuts away. That's why the scene's famous. 
Oh, yeah. does it? Oh, yeah. Okay. You watching yeah. the right film? Me? Oh, well, that's some great <laughs> filmmaking because very much like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I thought I saw more than I actually saw. So, true. Well done, Quentin Tarantino. Well done. Props to me. Violet goes next door to Corky, and Corky takes her for a drink. And Violet reveals that she wants out and wants a new life, but can't do it alone, so she needs Corky's help. Um, Corky isn't big on the idea of fucking over the mob, uh, but uh, soon enough, she comes up with the whole plan of fucking over the mob. She does, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Caesar comes home with a big bag of money covered in blood, and he reveals that Shelley took them to the money, and Johnny killed Shelley, so Caesar punched Johnny. All this, all this uh, masculine straight man stuff, oh, I, don't, <laughs> I, I can't relate. I think... Potentially, Corky's a bit nervous about um, potentially her the, the two million being just the biggest yeah. sort of um, business transfer. The Violets, essentially, Corky potentially could have been just another. Um, oh my God! What's the word I want? What's the word you want? Uh, customer, essentially for 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 her. So. And then she sort of realises, oh, okay, no, actually, let's let's uh, <laughs> let's uh, screw the mob over. Yeah. And I also have to say, this is one of my favourite parts. So Caesar's his job is money laundering, but now he has this bloody money that he has to literally put through the washing machine. Yeah. <laughs> and then he irons it. He sprays it with starch and irons it. Yeah. Which I thought was a beautiful scene. At first of all, the fact that he does he looks for the laundry detergent under the sink. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Pilot, uh, where it is, and she says in the linen closet. <laughs> and the, the image of him in his boxer shorts with all the money hung up everywhere. There's a real moment where he's ironing it. I love this image of him doing this domestic labor yeah. for the mob, right? Because yeah. he's kind of their wife in a way. Yeah. He does their laundry. Yeah, yeah absolutely. If, if any scene was to sum up his character perfectly, that is definitely the one. <laughs> uh, so after this, uh, we this yeah we get to see that scene as as Violet um, tells uh, Corky about it. Uh, we get another flashback before this of Corky tied up in that closet again, and uh, Violet tells Corky that the money is now in a case on Caesar's desk. Uh, Violet then explains how Caesar hates Johnny, and Johnny's father is Gino Marzoni, who is going to t- is going to their place to pick up the money. And now this is when Corky has the plan. And this is what I love about this character. It's the fact that this is, you know, this is pretty much the big gap now where we don't see her for a while after this. But she has put this entire plan in place. You know, she is in charge of what's going on. Um, and yeah, she's just a really powerful character. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting from, from the film noirs that I've seen. It tends to be the um the wife um if we're looking at double indemnity at uh, the sort of barbara stanwick the uh, character who hatches the plan and then gets the stupid man <laughs> essentially to do it for her yeah. whereas actually violet is very much key to this whole plan yeah even though she's the femme fatale character um, I thought it was a very interesting take on, on that. Mm. Um, Corky comes up with the plan, and, and I do have the words 
uh, hitches a plan at least four times now in my <laughs> notes because everyone hitches a plan after this point because it doesn't go right. But I just I found it very interesting that Violet was the one that was really in the thick of it. Yeah. Yeah, she. she uh, I had in my notes like which one of these two is the top. Um, and I, I feel like it's Violet. And you're right. I didn't think about it that much, but Corky just do much in almost all of the second half of the movie. And her her psychological interpretation of Caesar turns out to be wrong, as we'll see. And then Violet is the one who is sort of able to to write the ship. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Um, the, the plan is for Violet to get ready, give Caesar a drink, drop the bottle of scotch that Gino drinks on the floor while Caesar's in the shower, and he comes out in his towel in the scene, and apparently um, the actor wanted to get his dick out in the scene, but they were like, no, you don't need to. Put it away, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> he was like desperate to get it out. Like, no, no, just keep the towel there, it's fine. Um, LAUGHTER <laughs> Um, so we don't get to see more of him um, than we would like to. And um, that we would like to. That we, no, well, I worded that wrong. I don't want to see Joe pencil on his dick. So. so for everyone then, you know. <laughs> um, Violet tells him she's going to get another bottle, and then Corky sneaks in to get the money with the lock pick that she's wearing as an earring. How practical! <laughs> that's pretty. That's pretty lesbian, I would say. Your earring is also. <laughs> I mean, it's an ingenious way to, to sort of, uh, and it looked good. So I thought it looked great. <laughs> Very stylish. <laughs> Violet comes home and tells Caesar that Johnny is outside, even though Gino's plane isn't due for another half hour. So he opens the case and realizes the money is gone. And at the point where it should have been the case of him not blaming Gino or Johnny and just going on the run, uh, and everyone assuming he took the money. Instead, he is fuming and rants about it for a while. Uh, Violet tries getting him to run, but he wants to leave him alone. She calls Corky and tells him that Caesar is freaking out and just wants to kill Johnny. And Corky tells her to pack her things and walk out. But Caesar has other ideas, doesn't he? Yeah, so in the UK, we, we would describe this as the moment where it all goes tits up. I'm <laughs> not uh, sure if that translates. Um, but this is where the best laid plans do not uh, go to very yeah. well, um, which is good for us because this is the moment I was like, my notes just go to pot because <laughs> I'm like, I'm really invested in this. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. So Caesar decides he's going to get the money back from Johnny and kill him. Uh, Violet tells him she's leaving and doesn't want any part of this, but then he has a gun to her. And tells her she can't leave and that if she's not with him, she's against him. He seems to think that she is in a plan with Johnny. And the way it's played out, you know, I mean, it does look like she was in a plan with Johnny. She, right. You know, it it did look like that. Um, but again, his sort of um, issues with his own masculinity. Yeah, yeah. He, of course, it's Johnny. Yeah, it couldn't be anyone else. Corbyn. Of course, it's Johnny. Why Johnny would have the need to steal two million of his own father's money? Yeah, you know, really, why would Johnny even do that? Yeah, um, I think as revenge, as revenge for for punching him, like he sees it as this is Johnny trying to get me killed because I punched the boss's son. Well, and as Jennifer Tilly's character, as Violet points out, he wants it to be Johnny also, yeah. right? So yeah. he can yeah. any any 
he just, I don't know, it's one of those things kind of like a pairing to the steamy love relationship uh, between Gina Gershon and Jennifer Tilly. It's this equally intense hatred that he wants him to feel the same way, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Also, the idea that he just assumes that it's all about him as yeah. well. And actually, it's not really to do with it. It's not. He just happens to have the money, and that gives Violet the chance, uh, Violet and Corky the chance. But really, it's not really about him. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the thing that's hardest for him, uh, I would think, if he if he knew how it all played out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So Johnny and Gino arrive uh, with another guy called Roy, whilst Violet isn't allowed to leave. Johnny gets a bit too close to Violet, which causes more suspicion for Caesar. Uh, Gino asks Caesar to start respecting Johnny the way he respects him, uh, the way he respects Gino, and asks Johnny to stop being stupid before asking where the money is. Um... So yeah, much like this plan, um, his, uh, his wanting them to get on doesn't last very long. No, no. It doesn't work out for very long. Yeah, Caesar hands over the case and Johnny suggests that they stay a little longer. Starts questioning Caesar about the money, this really starts winding him up, so he tells him to open the case. Uh, Johnny asks for the key and Caesar tells him to open it the way he did before. Obviously Johnny's confused. Uh, and he opens it and realises the money isn't there. So Caesar pulls a gun out on him and asks where the money is. And then this is where we get the, uh, the intense showdown between Gino, Johnny and Caesar. Yeah, so this is Caesar's sort of big moment to get his own back on Johnny. Yeah. And yet again, <laughs> the plan doesn't go very well. Um, Gino tries to stop him. Um, by taking the gun off him, but Caesar um, shoots Gino. Yeah. I, I don't think intentionally, I think the moment gets to him, he shoots him, but then obviously when that happens, you know, all shit hits the fan. Yeah, he shoots and Roy and Johnny as well. He has to shoot Roy and Johnny. And yeah. now he's got three dead bodies on his hands. Yeah, yeah and all over his rug. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and all over, yeah, all over his floor. <laughs> at this point i actually really like caesar i know i'm not supposed to but he's good at his job he's quick to pick up on things he's efficient he doesn't back down like you know this is his character is being tested over and over and rather than turning and running he's always like i can stay one step ahead of this yeah i feel like he could have had a really good future in the mob if he yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> And I also feel like maybe there was some genuine affection there for Violet. Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I think there were moments between the two that, you know, I I, I felt quite sorry for him. It, 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 and, uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, obviously he's a mobster and therefore not <laughs> not very nice. <laughs> but I still, I felt for him at times. Yes, yeah. Uh, so Caesar now plans on getting the money back, making the bodies disappear and blaming it on the car palace. Uh, the police arrive in a really intense scene uh, while Caesar hides the bodies and Violet tries to stall the police uh, before letting them in. And Caesar turns Night of the Living Dead on as the police arrive at the apartment, which is used in so many different films. Yeah. Yeah. So well, it... <laughs> Sorry. Public domain. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. If we were to yeah. make a film, I think we'd have to put Night of the Living Ted on the TV. 
I don't think there's any other public domain films that we would want. Was the uh, House on Haunted Hill? House on Haunted. Oh, there we go. <laughs> that would be a good one. <laughs> Um, Caesar pretends he's deaf and plays off the gunshots as the TV. But one of the cops asks to use the bathroom before they leave and uh, blood starts dripping from the shower curtain. The other cop steps on some blood, but neither of them notice and they leave. Uh, but it's, it's played, I mean, I'm, I'm not doing it justice there. It's played out really intense. Like the way the way this scene's edited, the way it's shot, you know, they knew what they were doing. That's it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, they were very fortunate it was Night of Living Dead on the TV as well. <laughs> Can you imagine if it was an episode of Cheers? You know, there's no, no gunshots in that. I mean, they were very fortunate that's what, what came on the moment they turned on the TV. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, it's played out really, really well. Very intense. Um, it's the squelch of that uh, rug. Yeah. When the policeman steps on it. Oh. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's uh, covered in blood. <laughs> So after the police officers leave, uh, Caesar searches Johnny's car and can't find the money there. So they go to his apartment and also can't find the money there either. So Caesar, if this is when his plan really goes to shit. And for some reason he calls Mickey and tells him Gina and Johnny haven't arrived before telling him he still has the money. I mean, he says he does this to buy him a bit of time. It's all, it's a pretty bad idea, really. Well, what else can he do? He could have just waited for a bit. But then they would have... So the idea is that, obviously, Gino is a mob boss and people need to know where he is at all times. He's clearly on some sort of schedule, uh, you know, that people would be aware of. Um, so the idea is that he would fly in at a certain time his flight back would be at a certain time. So he, Caesar needs to sort of cover his own back um, and make people aware of, oh, oh well, he hasn't, he hasn't turned up here. He's, he's clearly off, off his sort of timeline. So what you're telling me is me thinking that's a bad idea would mean I'd be terrible if I was part of the mafia. Yeah, yeah. I, I do not have a future in the mafia. I don't think you'd last long. <laughs> you can't hatch a plan, I'm sorry. No, apparently not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so they go out to the apartment, uh, Violet calls Corky to tell her it's worked out and Caesar's going to go on the run after dumping the bodies. And then they share a really sweet moment where they put their hands on both sides of the wall uh, and Violet basically tells Corky she loves her without telling her she loves her. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, they never actually use the L word, no. do they? Uh, I'm not sure why Why wouldn't, why wouldn't they... I mean, we know. Yeah, we, yeah we, we know. I know we know. Maybe just... Artistic, uh, but Caesar <laughs> Caesar catches her on the phone and thinks she's talking to Mickey. So he presses redial and realizes it's coming from next door, uh, and he demands to know who's next door and knocks Violet out whilst Corky breaks into the apartment. Yes, yeah. So then she enters. Yeah, and Caesar realizes now that it was Corky all along. It was yeah. never Johnny. But still kind of laughs it off. He yeah. laughs. Yeah. He's surprised more than anything else. And, and doesn't see it as a threat, which is yeah. shocking. Yeah. 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 I mean, especially now that he he, know, he knows she has stolen his money from him, he's still, you know, he still can't believe it. So he knocks her out, uh, wakes her up and tells her that he shouldn't have known it was her because you can't trust queers. Well, that's not true, is it? I'm very trustworthy. It's true. Yeah, neither. <laughs> <laughs> but 
yeah there's this part too after that where he says um what did you do to her right where he he thinks yeah. that uh, corky's converted violet into a lesbian somehow, yeah exactly right yeah another one of those you know when we were feeling sorry for him <laughs> yeah this is when all the out the window goes now you're right now <laughs> we don't like him anymore. but I, I love Jennifer Tilly's response to uh, what did she do to you it's just like everything you couldn't that, that was definitely a yes <laughs> wasn't it <laughs> but he's again he's so consumed by his own idea of sort of his masculinity yeah um, and you know being big man in, in the mob and, and, and also I think he's kind of thrilled by the idea that he's just killed Gino, whatever his surname is, like, big guy in the mob, you know, I've killed him, mm. you know, um, that he's so consumed by that now, which is why he's finding it so hilarious that, you know, Corky is, is a woman, and yeah. that the whole thing has been master planned by two women, it's like, oh my mm. god, you know, and also he maybe thinks, well, it's an easy way out now then, you know, of course, you know, I'm not going to be outsmarted by these two, you know, Violet, she's the dumb one that makes me my drinks all the time. Mm. That's just Corky from next door, you know, and she, and she was dumb enough to get caught five years ago. Right. You know, this is my chance. It isn't actually as bad as I thought it was. Yeah. I, can, yeah. I can get away with this now. But, you know, yeah, so it's like a as all the plans... <laughs> Sorry. I was just saying it's a huge amount of relief that's coming from him too, right? That's what he's he's feeling there. It's like, okay, problem solved. Which, of course he's there, it's not. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> but well, this is where um, Violet absolutely reads him to filth. And I think that probably hurts him more than when he gets shot. Um, <laughs> and uh, he tells him he'll make her suffer like Shelley. So he grabs uh, his uh, finger curtains of the pliers from earlier. Uh, friends to cut off Violet's fingers if Corky doesn't answer his questions. But Mickey rings the buzzer. Um, I mean, he continues to interrogate him for a bit, uh, but then Corky tells him where the money is. Uh, and he's, she says, she still can't kill me because I could be lying. And he is not happy with that, so he uh, knocks her out and puts her in the closet. Yeah, and, and he believes that she could be lying because, as he's just said, you can't trust a queer. Yeah. So, and then kind of his, you know, he probably should have killed Corky at that point, really, and um, and Violet, and sort yeah. of blamed it all on them. You know, Mickey, Mickey gets the money back, and he's got free, but because he can't trust her, yeah. he has to keep her alive and in the closet. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um... Yeah, so it's after this uh, when Mickey shows up with another guy. Uh, Caesar explains he couldn't hear them at the door because Violet was helping him relax in the shower, apparently. Um, he gets him a drink. Again, he's so obsessed yeah. with this, you know, image of masculinity uh -huh. where his woman is relaxing him in, in the shower. Even, you know, it's not true. He's still, he's still so proud to tell them that, mm. oh yeah, you know, I've just had a good time with me, with my girlfriend yeah. in the shower, yeah. he's so pleased. Well, and I love how much Mickey demonstrates that he sees through him too, where he's like, oh, I guess you couldn't hear me because you were in the shower, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, 
yeah, and, and also when he notices that the furniture's been moved around, he's like, oh, I suppose that was Violet as well. Uh, so he's like, yeah, yeah, she just wants to make it look good for Gina. <laughs> Let me keep believes you. So he grabs the case, uh, asks him where the key is, um, and when Caesar explains that the keys are in his jeans in the bathroom, Mickey starts uh, picking the lock when the phone rings. Uh, and this is where Violet really takes control um, yeah. and tells him to pretend it's Gino. Pretend he's been in an accident, a car accident, and tells him she wants half of the money and no one else dies. How does she have a phone in the bathroom? That's, <laughs> yeah. I was a little... Was it's it cordless? Like yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was... <laughs> it seems like their bathroom has two, two doors, two exits, maybe. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it could be, yeah. It could be the case. It is very posh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. Wrong line of work over here. <laughs> uh, so Caesar tells Mickey that Gino uh, has been in a car accident, so they need to go and help them. And Caesar takes Violet next door at gunpoint whilst Corky bursts out of the closet. Now, that's the imagery I was talking about. There we go. And that, that, you know, they're not subtle about that. <laughs> yeah. Um... So Caesar finds the money, Violet escapes and he chases her. Violet calls up Mickey and tells him that Caesar forced her to do it and he needs to help her. Uh, Caesar goes back to the apartment, at that, um, the one that Corky was working in, and realises the money's no longer there. Uh, and this is when Corky tries to hit him over the head with a bottle, but he knocks her out and Violet comes back and pulls a gun on him. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is another yas moment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and he's convinced she ain't gonna shoot him, but she does. And this is where we get that really beautifully shot scene with the paint um, and the blood. And yeah, so Violet has taken control of her life, and she has eliminated Caesar. Yeah, again, he is so wrapped up in his own cock of the walk. Um, ideals that you know he doesn't think oh she's not going to shoot me why does she, she needs me you know she 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 could never shoot me think well, that's, again that's, <laughs> yeah, that's what I loved in this scene is I was expecting it pretty drawn out the the gunfight scene and it's over so quickly because he doesn't even he doesn't try to get away from her he doesn't duck he doesn't dodge yeah. he's fine he yeah. thinks he's impenetrable yeah yeah and he, and he, when he does you can see that he's still so shocked that it's actually happened and, and that's why, just going back to where, where the actor wanted to sort of have his penis out for the for the for the scene, it yes. kind of makes sense. I can kind of see now where he's coming from, because the character would be the kind of character that would just walk out, you know, in in front of his girlfriend with his tackle on display as we what? would say tackle tackle we've never said that on this <laughs> podcast <laughs> that, that kind of sort of <laughs> that, that weird sort of masculinity that he has where he would probably want violet to sort of like yeah come on you, you know do you understand what i mean yeah, yeah. yeah. So Violet tells Mickey uh, the Caesar has run away and she needs to get away from the lifestyle they had. So Corky and Violet get in Corky's truck and uh, a really, really great uh, last dialogue exchange. Corky says, you know the difference between me and you, Violet? And she says, no. And she says, me neither. And they kiss before driving off to She's a Lady by Tom Jones. Yes. 
Super, superstar Tom Jones. Um, we've spoke about Tom Jones a few times on here. So, yes, that's that's Bound. So, what's our closing thoughts on Bound? Oh, well, then, can we talk about what we just. We could have that's the, the, yeah. the closing that thoughts. I, well, no, I, I just I find it very interesting that essentially Violet is believed. And she kind of gets away with it with Mickey because you can obviously see that Mickey is the hops for her. Mm. And she's very much using, I mean, she gives him a little kiss on the, on the lips as well. She's very much using that femme fatale charm to get away with all of it. Yeah. Um, I think it's very interesting because that's kind of how she got away with a lot of it throughout the, the, the film. Whereas... Corky, because she, you know, w- was very openly queer, she maybe couldn't have gotten away with that sort of um, sort of part of a part of it. Even though she's the one who hatched the plan, and she was a very clever criminal and very good with her hands, as everyone sort of told her, she had her own, you know, um, positives. It was Violet's femininity that ultimately allowed them to get... It's also what got her into trouble in the first place and why she was with Caesar. So it's a double-edged sword, but I thought it was a very interesting take on the sort of masculine and, and feminine aspects yeah. of everyone's character, really, including Mickey's, including Johnny's and um, Caesar's as well. Yeah. Yeah, I also thought that the, yeah, the part that they um, call back to when she says uh, that, you know, the difference between us, it calls back that scene before where they were fighting. And uh, so Violet makes the point, you know, I don't need to wear what I am on my sleeve. And I forget. She also says, well, Violet also says, I think we're more alike than you'd care to admit. Yeah. Yeah. That and yeah. I wonder if, so part of that is obviously. The thing that comes up a lot, I think maybe less so now, but in queer communities of how queer should you read and how queer mm. do you read, right? It comes at both sides. Like some people being uncomfortable with someone looking queer because it might get you called out. And then on the other hand, um, some people thinking if you're not looking queer in this particular narrow way, then you're not really representing, right? Um, yeah. I feel like that was the, the conversation playing out yeah. between them. Yeah. And then the moral, like, I mean, I wonder how you, how you read that. Um, even when Violet says it, when she's like, "We're more alike than you care to." Yeah, I think that um, Corky really wants to. She wants to stand apart as the gold star lesbian, right? Yeah. So, like, be the like, I would never stoop so low as to like be with a man to um, for my own economic gain or at all. But um, Violet correctly pointing out, I was like, "Well, like, you did steal, like, you did things for people, and they did betray you, like you." You know, you were doing things that many would consider unsavory in order to make your living, and that's what I do. And you, like, because what Violet does has to do with sex, and, and yeah. probably especially sex with men. Um, Corky wants to set herself apart from that, and Violet is saying, like, really, like, they are the same. I have a distasteful job to some people. I have a distasteful job to some people. Like, both for the man, this is Mr. Being Keeny. Yeah. 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 No, absolutely, I agree. Yeah. Uh, so, overall, 
what is our thoughts on the film? I love it. I think it's a, a really great crime thriller, and it just you know it adds that bit of difference to a lot of the more similar ones released around that time. Yeah, where you know they're interchangeable. This just really stands out for me. I think ultimately, if Corky was a man, it would be very much in keeping with every other sort of kind of crime thriller at the time. Um, but I think the Wachowski stood by having Corky as, you know, a, a queer woman. And therefore, it adds so many layers to the film. Um, so many interesting points. I've always said it on our podcast, I can forgive a lot with films. You know, the, 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 the actual crime thriller narrative might not be groundbreaking, um, but it had in those extra layers and the idea of the masculine and the feminine and the relationship between Violet and Corky, you know, makes this so much more interesting and, and so much better than really it had any right to be yeah. <laughs> the directorial debut you know this is, yeah. this is meant to be it's meant to be boring <laughs> before they made the matrix the matrix was meant to be the the uh the interesting one but i personally actually think this is better than the matrix <laughs> i think that uh, i also really love this movie although the first time i watched it it actually bothered me and this is again back when i was like 20 years old uh because i wanted more realism from my queer cinema at the time because I just you know I wasn't getting it in real life I was surrounded by straight people I was like show me <laughs> yeah. what people are really like and where to find them and this is so stylized I, but then as I got older I came to appreciate that part of it um, and then thinking about the history of lesbian cinema too so there's certain milestones that it hits that are not that were hard fought right the idea of having um, first of all a sex scene uh, an accurate sex scene and then yeah having neither character die at the end, yeah. not having them forced, right? Mm -hmm. That's Those are both important. And yeah. then the thing though that it doesn't do, that I think we're only now becoming comfortable with in Hollywood is actually show female masculinity. Because she mm -hmm. is more masculine than, than Jennifer Tilly, but she's not really butch. She wears pants. Yeah, she wears pants, <laughs> right, but she's also very <laughs> butch. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 So I feel like... Yeah. When the L word tried to do butchness, um, they failed horribly at it 10 years later. Yeah. And uh, I feel like there's not that many butch women in Hollywood. Yeah, not not like portrayed mask presenting women who are portrayed. Yeah, um, I agree. And I'm not saying that's on the Wachowskis or anything. I'm no, no, no. It's just, it's, it's, I think it's hard for Hollywood to handle. So like, but if a woman is there, she has to be pretty according to our standards, right? Like even the like, you know, the like unattractive best friend, like by most people's standards, amazingly attractive. Right, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So like, I also love this and I just add to that something I feel like I really appreciated this time around, um, you know, in addition to good memories was um, how well-developed all of the characters are. Like they're each really enmeshed in their own dramas like they feel very believable in that way and then like with quirky violet and caesar it's interesting to watch what happens when each one of them is given a glimpse of the life that they want right with caesar it's obviously this mob thing and like watching how that transforms them and breaks them out of these sort of prisons that they've been in but also then how you know 
they're all entangled in each other, right? And how they each are trying to sort of keep the others from breaking out. It's, I, I just thought, I, I think they're all well drawn and I really appreciated that. Yeah, absolutely. So that's Bound. And I'm, I want to say where it's available. I don't know, we are on Blu-ray, so it um, may be on streaming services. It's on Hulu. We watched it in on the Hulu. US. Oh, in the US. Uh, okay. Hulu. Okay. Um, yeah, so very jealous. So if you're listening on social and you're on social media, we are Horrorcourt Trash over on Facebook and Instagram, Horrorcourt Trash on Twitter. Let us know what you think about. I am Dead Out Gas92 on Letterboxd, Gasmo205 on Instagram and GasCruise92 on Twitter. I am Chris Barker823 on Twitter, Letterboxd and Instagram. Uh, rate, review, subscribe if you're not listening on iTunes, like and follow on Everything Else. Where can we find Say Podcast and Die? Um, you can find us uh, as at Say Pod and Die on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, Say Podcast and Die uh, wherever, get you, wherever you get your podcasts. Perfect. Perfect. And yeah, you know, any of our listeners, just go and listen because it is amazing. It is an amazing podcast. Um, you know, even if you're not a Goosebumps fan, it is so informative and entertaining enough to keep you interested. Um, so go and check it out. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so uh, much. Next, no problem. Thank you for joining us. It, it, is, it has really been an honour to have you, you guys on the podcast with us. <laughs> um, next week, we are back with The Lost Boys on Tuesday, uh, where we will be joined by director Charlie Steeds. Not director of The Lost Boys, obviously that's Joel Schumacher, but a director, Charlie Steeds. And there's a double episode week. On Friday, we'll be back with Original versus Remake for Suspiria. Yes, very exciting. Yes. Uh, well, thanks again for joining us. Thank it, is, you. it has been amazing. And I, we would I, love to have you on again at some point in the future. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Happy. Oh, and let us know actually if there's an episode of the Goosebumps show you'd want to watch together and talk. Yes, about. that would be great. Oh uh, yeah, great. that would be yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the meantime, we will see you same time, same place next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.